Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered and come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy. In all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, hello, everyone. It's good to see you. I'm going to take care of something I should have done in first service. I preached all first service with this podium at Gabe Height, but it needs to go up a few inches. So uh, sorry about that, Gabriel. It's ready now. We are rolling, cooking with grease in second service. Great to see you all today. My name is Tyler. I am one of the pastors here, um, and I am absolutely delighted that you are with us this morning. I hope this past week, uh, this holiday week, has been restful and joyful and peaceful and warm for you. I know that's what I want this time of year, rest and joy and peace and warmth. That's what we all crave. And so I hope you've experienced that reality recently. But if you have not, um, as I know all too well can be the case around the holiday, then let me say this to you. I am so glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, it has been my prayer that this space and this time that we're sharing together and with God would be one of rest and joy and peace and warmth for you as we reflect back on 2018 and think about the new year that is right around the corner. And so again, I am so glad that you're here. And I have to admit, church, I absolutely love this time of year. I really do because I love new. Um, I just love new. I love new clothes. Uh, with the tags on, ready for their debut. I love new car scent. There really is no other smell like it, right? It's just the epitome of freshness. I love exploring new cities. I love trying new restaurants. I love new things. And this week, the final week of the calendar year, getting ready for New Year's, we find ourselves in the season of new. I think we're in the season of new. Perhaps Santa brought you something new and it was under the tree. I know I got some really cool little headphones from Aunt Debbie. Really loving those. Thanks, Aunt Debbie. Uh, so there's new things that maybe you got for Christmas or it's the new year. Uh, so maybe there's some new year's resolutions on the horizon, new things you'd like to introduce into your calendar in 2019, patterns you'd like to establish, habits you would like to form. It is the season of new this final week of the year. And I love new. I just can't get enough of it. And yet, 
there is one problem with new. Uh, there's one thing about new things that can be a bit of a letdown. There's one problem with new, and the problem is this. Uh, new gets old. Uh, new gets old. And what do I mean by that? Well, think about it this way. Uh, think about the phone that's likely in your pocket, the one that has you know, all your contacts, all your pictures, uh, the phone you've spent hours looking at, and you make sure you always have with you before you leave the house. You know what I'm talking about? Do you have that you know, phone, right? Think about the phone that's probably in your pocket. Uh, one day, that phone was new. Uh, do you remember that day? I mean, it was a great day. I remember when I went to the Apple store and picked up this puppy, loved her. She's got, uh, I'll show you anyway. So I, Kelly Clarkson is my lock screen, y'all, but that's another, wasn't, play, there you go. Uh, but face recognition, right? Love it, it's new, it's great. Um, love this new phone, and I thought this is the best phone in the world, and I'm so glad I have it, and the screen isn't cracked, and isn't this fantastic, right? One day, this phone was new. One day, your phone was new, but now it isn't, is it? And it's a little slower and your friend has one with a nicer camera on it, and yours is lagging a bit, and it doesn't hold a charge like it's used to, and you wish you could get a more recent version. What was new to you, what was once new, got old, right? And it's not new anymore. And now if you had the chance, you would go to the store and get the latest version. And what would happen to that current phone, right? The phone that's in your pocket now, the phone that you love and cherish and charge and protect in a case and make sure you always have with you. As soon as you get that new phone, what would happen to this phone? It would go in the drawer. It would be done. What was new so quickly becomes old, right? What was so treasured and precious can become just a thing that is cast aside. The problem is new gets old. New gets old, and it doesn't just happen with technology. It happens with the clothes we buy. It happens with the decisions we make. It happens with jobs that excite us initially and then kind of let us down, or new possibilities ahead of us that seem bright, but then you kind of learn the rest of the reality that's there. New gets old. You see, new is fun when it starts, and we love new. I love new. I love, love, love new things, but new gets old, and new can let us down because new doesn't stay new for long. In our broken world, it just can't. Stuff falls apart, things break, relationships get difficult, plans don't work out. That's just the way it is. Or is it? Does new always have to get old? And I think that's our question this morning. And so today as we finish our study in Isaiah, Today, as we kind of wrap up this Advent series, this investigation of an ancient text which we've entitled Coming Home, uh, we're going to learn about a kind of new that I'd argue never gets old. It's a newness God promises to us, a new that won't let us down, a kind of new that's so incredibly different from this world in which we live in that, I mean, it's a reality that God's already introduced into the world, a newness, but that one day he'll make fully apparent and fully real, and we hear about it in Isaiah 65. And so that's what we'll be studying today, Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17. It's on page 624 of our community Bibles. If you haven't made your way there already, uh, would you join me there? And I'll read it here now, Isaiah 65 and verse 17. Uh, we'll hear Isaiah the prophet speaking on behalf of God, channeling God's voice. Um, and Isaiah declares this, God declares this, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered, or come into mind. Isaiah the prophet speaking for God says, the day is coming when everything will be made new. 
when God will make a new heavens and a new earth. And when that happens, Isaiah says, the way things were, or to put it another way, the way things are now, the way things are in our broken world, our world characterized by injustice and cruelty and pain and hurt, when that happens, the way things were won't even come to mind, nor will we remember them anymore, Isaiah says, because we will be so immersed in the new world that God has made, so infatuated with the newness all around us that we won't even care to look back. Isaiah, the prophet, speaking on God's behalf, says, a day is coming when all will be made new. But that's not all he says. He continues in verse 18 saying, so be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Isaiah says, this day is coming when all things will be made new. And when that happens, Isaiah insists, God's promise to Abraham will be fulfilled. You see, 1,500 years before Isaiah gave this prophecy, God made a promise to a man named Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. See, God told Abraham, I'm going to do something through you and for you, Abraham, that's going to bless the entire world. I'm going to change the world for you. I'm going to redeem and restore the world for you. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to everyone else. And I'm going to do this not because of anything you've done and not because you're anything special, but because of who I am, because I'm good and because I'm kind and because I'm caring. I'm going to intervene in the world history through you, Abraham. You haven't done anything. I just chose you. It brought me delight to choose you. But I'm going to, through you, change the entire world because I want to, because I want to put this world back together right? 1,500 years before Isaiah spoke this prophecy, God made that promise to Abraham. And now here in verse 18, Isaiah says, the day is coming when God will come through on that promise. The day is coming when God's people, which is who Isaiah is referring to when he speaks of Jerusalem here, when he's like, right, Jerusalem will be a blessing. So sure, a city, but also metaphorically standing in for God's people. Isaiah says, the day is coming when God's people right? Abraham's offspring, this family of Abraham, will be what they were designed to be. They will be a blessing to the entire world, and God will delight in them, and the world will delight in them, and everyone will be so, so glad that they know Abraham's city and God's people and the goodness that comes from them. When that arrives, Isaiah says, this new heaven and the new earth, God will come through on his promise to Abraham, and everything will be as it should be. Everything will be as it was meant to be. There'll be joy and blessing and delight and happiness. That day is coming, Isaiah says. But let's be honest, in the meantime, we know that that's not how things are. I mean, you know it. I know it. We've said it already. Stuff breaks. Things fall apart. You know, I think back to Christmas in 2008. It's 10 years ago now, but I really can remember it like it was yesterday. I came back 
uh, from school. I had you know, been away, it was a good year, so I'm coming back, ready to visit family, super excited about it. And earlier that year in 2008, my grandparents had moved out of their home and moved in with us, kind of deal, right? So still have a home in Fort Wayne, but they had kind of physically moved, their stuff was still in this home. So we had this grand idea on Christmas Day. We thought, gosh, it'd be really fun to drive back over to their old house, 531 Elnora Drive, and you know, see the old stuff. Uh, look at some old photos, uh, you know, sit at the piano, whatever it was, but it's just like, this is going to be great. We're going to show up to the old house Christmas morning. Uh, you know, it felt like our own hallmark moment in the making. Won't it be lovely? Um, and then we got to the house, and we opened the door, and we found water everywhere. Um, a pipe had burst. Uh, there's just, I mean, stuff is drenched. You know, it's cold. Uh, everything's wet. And so what was going to be, again, kind of memories in the making just turned into a work day. You know, dad and I were real busy. Mom takes the grandparents back. And I fondly refer to that Christmas in my mind, kind of my mental history is like the cussing Christmas uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Kelly knows. Because it's just, a, it was tough. It was a tough reality, a really hard week uh, for our family. We had to do all that cleanup. And of course, none of the restoration people are in town on the holiday. I mean, it was just a mess, right? And that's how life goes, isn't it? Yeah. You know, stuff breaks, things fall apart. Our best plans can be foiled. But the prophet Isaiah says, he prophesies and God promises that one day it won't be like that anymore. A day is coming when everything will be as it should be. And then the prophet starts to get more specific at the end of verse 19. He says, uh, no more shall be heard in it, in this new world, this new creation, the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So this is Isaiah's way of saying those heartbreaking realities that cause us to cry, those sad things in life that bring us great distress, they're going to go away, which means the crying and the distress that they produce, that won't be around anymore. We won't hear crying anymore because there will be nothing to make us cry, right? That's kind of the logic here. It says that stuff is going away. And then he gets even more specific. He says, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now this second phrase there, that ending phrase there, the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Really, really difficult Hebrew to translate. If my memory is right in the NIV, it says the one who reaches a hundred years old shall be accursed. Um, I could get into all the complexities of why, but just hear this. This is what we need to know. Isaiah's prophecies are written in dense poetic language. And so we've got to be really thoughtful when we interpret them. In this little passage, verse 20, it can give some people pause because it's like, wait, Isaiah's speaking about a future world to come, and yet he's talking about death being in it. Does that mean there's death in the new world? You know, what happens in all this? It can be real confusing. What we've got to remember is this is poetry, and Isaiah's making a point through poetry and he's using figurative language to make it. So we read this poetry alongside all the rest of Scripture's testimony about what's to come and what God's doing in the world and what's going to happen one day. Does that make sense? So the specific image and illustration, hard to understand. The grand narrative of Scripture, abundantly clear. And what is Isaiah saying? Well, to me, I see it clearly. Isaiah is trying to say in this, again, kind of difficult text, that one day death will die. Yeah. That one day death will will die and that this enemy of life right and this enemy of God because God's the author of life Isaiah says one day death itself will die and when that happens Isaiah says death which so often comes without warning 
and it always brings great heartache. Isaiah says, death, be it for those advanced in years, or be it for those just starting out, little kiddos, he says, death, it's no longer going to plague humanity. It's no longer going to be a reality. Everyone, everyone in this new creation will live a full life, uh, an everlasting life, life as it would made to be lived ongoing. And that's good news, isn't it? I mean, hear that good news, parents who've lost children far too soon. And hear that good news, children who've lost parents and maybe felt that ache afresh over the holidays. Hear that news, friends who wish they could call that old friend, but they can't. Isaiah says, one day death will die. Death, the enemy of God, will be defeated. Has been defeated on the cross, but one day we're going to experience that fully, Isaiah says. And when that happens, when that happens, it'll be something to marvel at. When it happens, Right, the deepest longing of our heart that says we never want to say goodbye, that will be fulfilled. Death will be noticeably absent from God's new creation, his new heavens, and his new earth. And Isaiah continues. He says, okay, when that happens, when God makes the new heavens and the new earth, death will die, uh, but something else will happen too. Those who live in it, those who enjoy everlasting life with God, they shall build houses and inhabit them. Uh, they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit. And they shall not plant and another eat. Now, this is Isaiah's way of saying that in this new world that God will bring about, in this new creation that's coming, there will be no injustice. There will be no injustice. There will be no exploitation of those less powerful by those more powerful. There will be no reality of someone, you know, building a home, which you can imagine in the ancient world, right? I build this whole home, then an occupier comes in and they've taken my home and everything in it. I mean, there will be no injustice of, I've done all the work to plant this tree and everything, and it's ready to blossom, and now other people eat the fruit. Isaiah says that won't happen in this new world. One day, injustice will disappear. One day, Isaiah says, injustice will be no more. God will bring about a new creation, and it will be a place of justice. And friends, that is good news. That's good news for our brothers and sisters around the world who face all kinds of injustice in so many different ways, but it's also good news for us here in Kansas City, isn't it? I mean, hear this good news, workers who've been cheated, right? Hear this good news, recipients of abuse who've been silenced. You know, hear this good news, minorities of all kinds who felt marginalized or discriminated against. I mean, whatever it is, one day, Isaiah says, injustice will be no more. It is going away. And instead, Isaiah declares, people, they, they won't labor in vain or bear children doomed for calamity, right? This is his way of saying, your work is going to matter. And there's not going to be something that has lots of good and promise, right? Like maybe having a child that then it turns out bad. He said, no, 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 that's, that's not going to happen. Your work will matter. You're not going to bear children for calamity, for they shall instead be offspring of the blessed Lord and their descendants with them. So goodness will multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. And indeed, Isaiah concludes by saying, before they call... Right? He's speaking as God. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. And they shall not hurt or destroy. And all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Isaiah's prophetic declaration about this future reality comes to a dramatic finish with the greatest news of all. In that day when all is made new, Isaiah says, 
In that day in which everything is made right and the whole world is put back together, in that day, Isaiah says, God will answer his people's prayers before they even pray them. He'll be ready with a response before the words come out of our mouth. Now, I want to be really clear here. This is another one of those like poetic, prophetic passages that can be a little difficult to wrap our minds around. What Isaiah isn't doing here is making some comprehensive theology of answered prayer and unanswered prayer and prayers that God seems to hear and prayers that God doesn't seem to hear. And again, we'll cover that another time here. That is another passage of scripture. We can talk about prayer another time, but that's not what Isaiah is doing here. He's doing something else and honestly something that I would say is better or more shocking. Isaiah is saying one day we'll be on like just such the same wavelength as God. We'll be on such the same page. We'll like, it'll just be seamless interaction that, you know, as a prayer is like coming to our mind and ready to come off as we're speaking to God, he's already answering. We're just so in tune. You know, does that make sense? I mean, it made me think of my friend, Chris, this is Chris um, and his wife, Catherine. So I got to see them uh, briefly when I was back home, but Chris and Kat, uh, wonderful, wonderful deal friends. For years, Chris served as a pastor uh, in Las Vegas, which is why I visited Vegas so much, um, both for him and for Celine Dion. And Chris and Kat, uh, re real, real treasured friends, talked to them a whole lot, but Chris I kind of talked to continually. We have a lot of interaction. So in 2012, we had like this never-ending email chain. Uh, we learned you can like max out a Gmail chain and they kick you to a new one, right? So just kept talking, kept talking. Um, and more recently, we found ourselves, you know, texting each other, but then in lots of group texts with others. And what's funny to me is how often Chris and I whether it's in a group text interaction or just with one another, how often we'll either text the same thought or the same joke at the same time. You know what I mean? So someone says something and instantly, you know, we get the typing bubble. Both our responses show up and they're the same. Or we're typing to each other and ta-da, we've sent the same thought, same quote, same joke. You know, I mean, we're just on the same page. And it's a little bit freaky, uh, but it's also incredibly comforting. You know, it's nice to have a friend that knows you so well, to have a friend that marches to the beat of the same drum. And Isaiah is saying that in the new heavens and the new earth, that's how our relationship with God will be. It will be so in sync, right? so in tune with one another that there will be this wonderful, unimaginable for us now intimacy with our creator. And this kind of closeness is, won't just characterize the relationship between God and humanity, but, I mean, you see it in the text there. Even the, the, the lion and the lamb, the ox, I mean, they're going to they're gonna be together, wolves and lambs in this text. Thank you. They'll be together in peace and harmony. It will be a world characterized by rest and joy and peace and warmth. And it's coming, Isaiah declares. It's on its way. This new world is right around the corner. And I think this is good news to us this morning, good news for us to remember, especially in this season of new. I think this is a wonderful reality for us to reflect upon as 2018 draws to a close and as 2019 gets ready to begin, because in the first few weeks of 2019, many of us are going to try to live differently and be different. No, not all of us. Some of us are just like holding on and trying to make it in a new year. I get that. But I know this crowd. Many of us are going to have some new plan, some new resolution, some new goal for 2019, new habit we want to start. 
Um, and we're going to try to, you know, do our best effort and make our best planning and rearrange things in our life so that we can try something new, be someone new in 2019. And I want to be very clear. Uh, that's a great thing. It's good to have goals. It's good to embrace new disciplines. In fact, our sermon series that starts next week is going to be about following Jesus in every area of life. We're going to do like eight weeks on what it looks like for us to have costly discipleship to Jesus in every dimension of life. So we'll probably even be giving you new goals, new habits to try. I mean, it's, it's good to try new things, right? I'm not saying that that's bad, okay? It's great to have New Year's resolutions. I love new, and I love the opportunities that a new year brings. But at some point, friends... In our broken world, new will get old. New will get old. And at some point, the hopes and dreams we've hoped and dreamed for 2019 will unravel, hopefully just a little bit. Right? Things will fall short of what we imagine. Things won't quite measure up to what we've planned because that's what happens in our world as it is. Stuff breaks and things fall apart. And when that happens... When our best intentions fall short, when our best efforts don't take us as far as we hoped they would, it is my prayer that we will remember what Isaiah says to us this morning. It's my prayer that we will avoid the easy mistake of putting our hope in our new habits, but will instead remember our God who makes all things new and who is making all things new, and who has promised one day a new heaven and a new earth where new will never get old, where joy will multiply without any kind of shadow of decay, where things get better and better and better, where stuff never breaks, where things don't fall apart. That day is coming. We're not there yet, but it's coming, Isaiah says, and that's where our hope can be placed, not in our ability to try something new or do something new, but in the God who is making all things new. You know, this Christmas season, I fell in love with a song that was new to me. It came out in 2015, so you've probably heard it already. Uh, but it's by Lauren Daigle, and the song is called Noel. Have you heard this song? Big song. Oh, my gosh. She's a great singer, too. Uh, the chorus is like, Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done. Have you heard? Okay. So I had this song on in the rental car, and I thought I was going to crash, y'all, uh, because when she gets to that chorus, my little tear ducts start going. Um, I love the song. I mean, I love it because I'm a fan of Big Belters, but I also love it more because of the message. And Lauren Daigle is right on. Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done. The truth of Christmas is that God has come to earth, which means the work of putting everything back together, of making all things new, it is already underway. The world that Isaiah spoke about, the world that's coming, the world where everything is as it should be, it's, it's being inaugurated. God entered the world. He, he died in the world. He's trying to make it new. And every so often, we get little glimpses of it. Not here fully yet, but it's on its way. It's coming. Yes. And every time a Christian or a follower of Jesus loves someone sacrificially, or any time someone serves someone else humbly, any time someone stands against injustice or serves humbly without thought of reward, whenever that happens, we get a glimpse of that new world that is to come, that new world that's on its way, and that new world that will never get old because love doesn't get old. That's right. 
And service doesn't get old, and humility doesn't get old. Our new in this world gets old. It can't help it. Our world is broken, but God's new keeps getting better. And when we live the way Jesus designed us to live and in the life we were invited to live with him, when we embrace new life in Christ, we get the opportunity to continually say yes to new and better ways of living that will not get old. And that day is coming, Isaiah prophesies, and God promises when we're all going to fully live into that reality and everything will be new and it's the kind of new that gets better and better and better and until that happens we have the opportunity in the meantime to participate in the redemptive work that's God already that God's already doing little by little bit by bit here and now bringing parts of new life into our broken world I mean even today church Jesus is in the process of putting his world back together and one day that same Jesus will himself say, behold, I am making all things new. And in that day, Jesus' best friend John writes, Jesus will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. You see, friends, in this season of new, as you make new plans and new year's resolutions, here's what I know about you and here's what I know about me. We don't just need a new year. We need a new creation, right? You don't just need a new year. You need a new creation. You need this broken world to be redeemed once and for all. You need this world of injustice and death and sorrow to be renewed and recreated. And that is exactly what God has promised to do. It's what he intends to do. It's the work he's already doing. He has promised a new world and new life for his people where everything is as it should be. And that world, Isaiah says, will be characterized by rest and joy and laughter and peace. And it's coming. And you can count on it. God offers us this new that will never grow old and a new creation that will bring endless delight. So I've already told you about one friend. Here's another. This is my friend Kaya. Um, and Kaya is one of my oldest and dearest friends. This will be a story for another sermon, but I was once a middle school bully to Kaya um, at Maple Creek Middle School in Fort Wayne, Indiana. But then we had a big turnaround and we became the dearest of friends. And so Kaya, um, I mean, just deep, deep, deep family friend, always around, like an anchor for me, one of those friends I think of when I think of home. So got to see her over Christmas break as well. And she's a, a theater teacher um, and a stage legend, if I do say so myself, in northern Indiana. So like Lauren Daigle, Kaya has a voice that will not quit. And I've had the pleasure of sharing the stage with her on more than one occasion. This, I think, was a theater fundraiser um, in northern Indiana. So there we are. Look, we clean up well. Uh, so there we are raising money for theater. And I was with Kaya when she won her first Anthony Award. So this is a Northern Indiana Theater Award um, in 2011 for her portrayal of Tracy in Hairspray. Uh, she's a stunner, y'all. Love, love, love Kaya. Um, but I remember 2006. In 2006, she was the star of Jekyll and Hyde, the musical. Um, and if you know anything about Jekyll and Hyde, Kaya's character, she's Lucy. And Lucy is this woman who makes a hard living on the streets. Okay, life has not been kind to Lucy. It's been difficult. She's had to fight for everything she's ever had. The world's really, really beat her up. And so she feels like her world's going to change when she meets this guy, Dr. Jekyll, right? 
And she's like, man, things are going to get a whole lot better for me. Um, this is great. I can't believe I've met a successful guy like this Jekyll figure. And if you know kind of how Jekyll and Hyde works and good and evil, uh, let's just say stuff doesn't work out well for Lucy, right? But you can watch the musical. It's a classic. But in that show, and I'll remember, I mean, I can remember when I first heard Kaya sing it, there's a great song right at the end that Lucy sings. And the song begins this way. It's a new life. You know, what I wouldn't give to have a new life. Just to play the game and to pursue life, just to share its pleasures and belong. That's what I've been here for all along. A new life. And friends, let's be honest. You don't have to be the Victorian-era lady of the street to feel that way, do you? I mean, chances are you've felt that way. I've felt that way. The longing for new life is a human longing. The longing for a new chance. The longing for deeper relationships to experience more of what life has to offer. The hope of feeling more connected with those around us to belong. These are human longings. What I wouldn't give to have a new life. We've all been there one way or another. And this morning, in light of our investigation of Isaiah 65, I'm inviting you to leave this place with a fresh reminder that God has invited you into a new life. And that God has promised one day the kind of new life that won't ever leave us lacking or wanting more, a new life that will satisfy our souls. And so if you're here this morning and you know God, May this promise of new life, may it encourage you and comfort you as you enter this new year. May it inspire you as you pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. May it motivate you to be an agent of redemption in our world, bringing glimpses of that new life wherever you can, as often as you get the opportunity. Right? May the hope of our new heavens and the new earth anchor you and uphold you as you make plans and promises to live with conviction and courage in 2019. May that, that's my hope for you. If you're here and you already know this God who promises new life. And if you're here this morning and you don't know God, it's been my hope that this discussion of new life, this promise of newness will have at least, I don't know, pricked the ears of your soul made you at least a little bit interested in this God who promises to make things new, who understands that this world is not as it should be, that in this world things break and things fall apart, but loved you enough and loved this world enough to enter the world himself and redeem it from the inside, giving his life to make new life possible for us. Friends, we all have the invitation to new life, into the life that Jesus promises, the way of Jesus so may you today discover the goodness and kindness and graciousness of our God who is now and who forever will be making all things new and new and new and new and anew that never gets old but only gets better. That's my prayer for all of us as we enter 2019. So will you join me in prayer now? Oh, Lord, we, uh, we long for new life. I mean, what I wouldn't give to have a new life. And thank you, God, for giving that new life, new life in Christ. Uh, it is such a gift, God, the fact that there does exist a kind of new that won't get old, that won't disappoint, but, Lord, that will just keep getting better and better and better where everything will be as it should be and as it was designed to be. Lord, I need that hope. We need that hope. So may you make that real to us afresh this morning. 
May we trust you as the author of life and may you guide us as we seek to live differently in this new year, God, and help us to make the right choices and the right goals and also, Lord, encourage us when things don't quite work out despite our best efforts. And remind us that even though plans feel here, here and things get foiled here and surprises come up here that let us down, one day a world where we aren't let down and where sorrow goes away forever, it is coming, Lord. And let us find our hope anchored in that reality and in you, the God who brings and authors new life. We ask for that this morning, Lord. We impress that on our hearts fresh today. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.